This is the Hospitality Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. Take out that travel guide and let's explore. Hospitality is a people industry. You don't want to take away that human element. The best technology has to be a seamless technology. So we have to find ways to be even more creative on, particularly when it comes to energy, water, and waste. You hire the kind of employee that's going to act like an owner, that's going to have that initiative. Well, Happy New Year and welcome to a new episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you survived the holiday season well. I know it's a busy travel time, so for you experts in the industry, for those of you that work in the hospitality industry, I know it's a very, very busy time. So uh, hopefully you've survived it and made it through a, a particularly busy season, but I hope it was busy and I hope business has been good over these last few weeks uh, when people are obviously traveling a ton. So hotels are full. Airbnbs are packed up, uh, lots of people visiting restaurants and visiting towns for the first time. So hopefully it has been a good time of year for you. Coming up on the show today, we're going to have two feature interviews, the first of which is going to be with our digital editor here at MarketScale, Jeff Short. We're going to talk about the evolution of the hotel lobby, and he's going to talk about the way that the lobby is an experience, and it's going to be a big point of emphasis moving forward for the hotel and the hospitality industry. So uh, just looking back at an article that has been on our website for about a week now, now, uh, talking about just that evolution of the lobby and how it's being viewed a little bit differently than it has been in the past. It's no longer just a place that you pass through on your way to, uh, to your room. But hotels are really taking the opportunity to use the lobby as a place to create experiences and really that first step in that journey uh, in staying at that hotel. So it's going to be more of a living room type place for the hotel, more so than just a place that you move through very quickly. So uh, that's going to be the first feature on today's episode. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation with Jeff. And then we're going to look back at a conversation we had earlier in the year with Lauren Gray of Hospitality Digital Marketing. And he's going to talk a little bit about the Starwood and Marriott acquisitions and then talk about point loyalty programs and how brand chains and independent hotels can learn from each other and what each one is doing well. So borrowing from uh, what each different side of the hotel industry is doing particularly well and uh, growing the industry as a whole as a result of that. So I think it's going to be two really interesting conversations that we can learn a lot from in both of those. So I hope you enjoyed this upcoming episode. And coming up first is going to be that conversation with Jeff Short about the evolution of the hotel lobby coming up next on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. All right, joining me now on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast is Jeff Short. He's our digital editor here at Market Scale, and we're going to be talking about a piece that talks about how hotels are going to stay fresh in 2019. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Really glad to be here and uh, looking forward to 2019. Absolutely. And uh, it sounds like hotels are looking forward to 2019 as well and coming up with new and kind of fresh ideas for how they can stay relevant in an atmosphere where uh, Airbnb and uh, other companies like that are kind of taking increasingly larger and larger shares of the market. So, There are a couple of primary areas where hotels are looking to really drive things forward. And uh, the first of which really is the lobby. So how are are hotels utilizing the lobby to create a better overall experience for visitors? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think the lobby is obviously at the forefront, not only of the hotel, but of this whole experiential element of hotels going forward. I think they really do need to make that a point of emphasis. And it looks like they are uh, largely. Uh, Like you said, with Airbnb being 
such a homey atmosphere and such a unique experience for travelers, that's where the hotels have really got to uh, fight back, I guess. So the lobby, making it an experience, you know, we've had articles on our site all year talking about um, hotels that are putting bars in the lobby and, you know, making it more interactive, more immersive, uh, cultural, experiential. So not just, um, you know, the receptionist at the desk that gives you the key card. So maybe it's even putting in technology that can allow you to get your key card uh, mobily or something along those lines, using technology to make the experience for weary travelers easier. Um, That's going to be a very big point of emphasis moving forward, I think. And uh, it's really that first wow moment as you walk into the hotel. So um, you can see that's kind of where the industry is going. Yeah, absolutely. And and really, experience has kind of become a, a really hot button word recently, just across a lot of different industries, mm-hmm. not just hospitality, but creating an experience for people, not just uh, seeing the lobby as a place that you breeze through on your way to your room, but really having an experience in that space has become a major focus for hotels. So what are some of the uh, technologies maybe that we've seen uh, in those spaces that we've seen throughout 2018 that you expect to see more of in 2019 as hotels update and stay fresh? Well, speaking of just sort of cross industry, I think what they're, uh, what the hospitality industry will be doing is definitely taking a look at some pro AV experiences. So, um, just from a design standpoint, I mean, making it, uh, like I said earlier, a wow factor kind of space. So whether that's led signage on the walls, whether it's an interactive, uh, touchscreen that can give you sort of a feel for the city or even just making the lobby a brighter, better experience. So when you are traveling, coming through, uh, after a long flight or with, you know, a family of small children, something that, uh, can kind of perk up the whole attitude of the, uh, traveler is, is key. So, um, I think those are going to be big. And then, uh, like I said earlier as well with hospitality elements, um, whether that's a bar or an area to get food or some sort of personal service, I think those are kind of the two areas where they're trying to make the lobby, um, not just something that they have to have, but making use of that space, making it sort of you know, making your weak point a strong suit for a hotel. So I think the ones that can do that the best and give that personal experience is those are the hotels that are going to see a big successful year in 2019, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the more that they see lobbies as maybe the living room of the of the overall hotel experience, uh, that's that's not a bad way of looking at it because I stayed at a hotel that wasn't anything special, right? Like I, it wasn't a luxury hotel by any means, but in the lobby area, they had almost like these little rounded couches with like personalized TV type pods that you could just kind of hang out in the in the lobby and get like you know, a continental breakfast and then sit there and watch television there in the morning while you had your morning coffee. Like that was actually a really great little experience that just felt like uh, they had tailored it with the guest in mind, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just making it an asset for your your space. I mean, as it has stood in the past, it's really just a thing that you have to have, but making it part of that hotel experience, not just a place, you know, making the hotel not just a place where people that are traveling are going to plop their bags down and then go into the city. And if you're a hotel, you want people obviously staying involved in the property, whether they're eating on site or enjoying the amenities and having a lobby that's actually accessible and enjoyable where, you know, you can meet with any other friends that might be staying there or, you know, just immerse yourself more into the property. That's a win for the hotel, of course, but obviously if it's a better experience for the guest, then they're going to be more satisfied. And that's where you're going to see maybe more people. Um, if you're a hotel, hopefully, 
staying in hotels or looking at and considering hotels during travel as opposed to Airbnbs, which uh, obviously do provide that sort of communal, you know, homey element. Of course, they are home. So <laughs> that is the fight that the hotels are fighting against. Absolutely. And some hotels are going in the exact opposite direction of instead of making it feel more like home, uh, they're using the lobby to kind of bring part of the local culture of the surrounding areas around that hotel into the lobby area to then kind of... Uh, it's 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 less about making it feel like home and more about you know feeling like you're in a destination and and getting right. part of that culture and that can also be a draw as well. It's a different it's a different approach, but it's also a way uh, for hotels to stay relevant and to to provide something that maybe an Airbnb can't provide. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think hotels obviously you know people are traveling to destinations. They want to feel like they really got a feel for the destination. So any way that they can kind of capitalize on that. Um, it's only going to benefit them for sure. And like you said, I mean, an Airbnb is not going to be able to provide that really. So that is an area where they see sort of an opening. And I think if they can exploit that as well, uh, sort of really embrace their location, um, that's definitely going to be an element that uh, will give them an edge over Airbnbs and things of that nature. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to see what exactly uh, happens with the hotel industry and the hospitality industry in general in 2019, just with the trends of Airbnb um, and, and hotels and how they're each adopting uh, different methods for how to continue their growth, I think will be very interesting to see. And this uh, this conversation, this interview was spawned by a, a great article on the, mar- on the Market Scale website under the uh, hospitality industry by Alinda Quinn uh, entitled, What Hotels Are Doing to Stay Fresh in 2019. So uh, make sure to go and uh, read that full article. Uh, it is linked in the show notes as well. So make sure you check that out on the website as well um, in addition to this conversation. So uh, thank you so much to Jeff Short uh, for joining me on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast today. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Well, thank you again to Jeff Short for joining me on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast as we look at that transition for the hotel lobby. All right, coming up next is going to be a conversation that our correspondent Shelby Skirhawk had with Lauren Gray. He's of the Hospitality Digital Marketing Podcast, and he's going to talk about the ins and outs of that Starwood Marriott acquisition and their customer loyalty programs, and one particularly amusing hotel points hack that he found out about. He says it's also amusing how road warriors have really gamified the system and know how to move themselves up and what he learned from those particular hotel road warriors. They also discuss what brand chains and independent hotel chains can learn from each other. I think it's going to be a really fascinating conversation that you're going to learn a lot from and really, really enjoy. So coming up next is that conversation between Shelby Skirhawk and Lauren Gray. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for asking. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So you obviously have a very wide view of the industry and and what's happening. So let's talk a little bit about something that was a large acquisition, a large merger that we saw that's uh, affected a lot of people, and that's the Marriott and Starwood merger. So uh, before this show, I'll uh, pull the curtain back. We were chatting about this article that we read in um, Bloomberg Business Week, and it was interesting to see their... I guess, evaluation of how these things have come together. But um, I want to ask you, what did you think of the things that went well in this acquisition and the things that didn't go well? 
Certainly, certainly. Yeah, it was actually, it was fun. It was, we were talking, like, wait a minute, we haven't even started talking about this yet. And I went off on all these tangents. <laughs> um, well, first off, when the first announcement came through that this was a merge uh, between the two large entities that they are, uh, and of course, you know, Marriott acquiring Star Wars, it wasn't even a merger, it was an acquisition of Starwood. I knew that from a perspective of being a member uh, loyalty program that, that SPGers had a um, less than favorable view of those who are in the Marriott reward program because they felt uh, basically that their reward program or their, the incentives associated with it were uh, superior to that of Marriott. So Marriott had a lot of challenges as to how to blend it. And at first I was, and this goes back months, was very negative about uh, how Marriott was tackling it. I figured that they just, they weren't going to be able to improve what they needed to improve on their side to meet what SBGers, those who were membership reward programs for Starwood, uh, were in the expectation and the SBGers fears that they were going to lose a lot to basically scale down to what Marriott, the victor in the sense of acquiring Starwood, would uh, put into place. I have to say the article did a, a, one of the best jobs I've read so far on all the complexities associated with what they combined and how it ended up being combined. And I think that they conceded some a- aspects of the Marriott program to moving up to the SPG level, like the the breakfast uh, program that was an SPG or concern. Um, and then also scaled back uh, some of the stuff the SBGers would want in the sense of the scalability of their ability to attain. Um, I think you and I were joking about it, it. If I had known half of the stuff that the article pointed out on how to uh, manipulate the rewards programs. <laughs> I feel foolish that I didn't do those things. It was amazing some of the examples that they're referring to about how they were basically gamifying the system to know how to, it was necessary to move themselves up that, you know, their business travel afforded them a certain amount of travel. And then they personally would go and make a, an additional hotel stay simply to check in, not stay, leave, just so they could bump up into the category above on the, on the rewards program. But I think the overall view, and this is something that I think Marriott and Starwood realize, is that there are, I mean, these are road warriors. I mean, we're talking about people. You have to be traveling for this to have any sort of real sense of purpose. I mean, if you're the the, uh, normal transient family traveler, these uh, levels of attainment just aren't realistic. They're purposely scaled to be just past the normal travel cycling for people. Even the business travelers are just that one level above. It's... um, I equate it a lot like um, retail where you have package offerings that the package that you need is really the one up above, but it's much more expensive, but you only needed it by a fraction. So you have to actually you know, upgrade yourself much more than you needed just to get what it is that you came there for. And I think that the reward programs, uh, I think, which is also a misnomer, it's not a reward program, it's a frequency program. These are all based on the, air, the, the early airlines reward systems where the honest is on the guest to prove their worth for reward. It's carried on a stick. The hotel and the rewards programs are basically saying, show us why we should treat you differently than everybody else by staying with us enough that we give you a value, whether it be a, you know, being critical, a bottle of water or a room upgrade. Uh, you know, and instead, if it's really truly to be a reward program, it's a value proposition to the guests that should be acknowledged, not a value proposition to the service, the, the hotel that it's being offered from. And I think that's where we've lost this. Um, we talked also the fact that, and it was no, no secret, it was clear that Marriott acquired the um, Starwood portfolio, not because of the hotels or the brands that, that they represent or what have you, but was specifically for their membership rewards program. Uh, for the for the database that that represented the the relationship that that, rese- that represented from these people that are that advocate about using the pr- the brand because of the reward systems to it, I think Marriott did a good job as best as they could uh, to make the the camel out of the horse they intended to make. Um, I think that they didn't irritate enough of the SBGers to to lose many of them. I mean, I'm sure there's some that would still 
say that it's not what it was and leave anyway, or at least change their, their travel habits. And I think it also improved the relationship with their Marriott Rewards members to feel fresh with the fact that there is more reasons to stay within the program. So I think, and that's just the Marriott, we're not talking about the risk culture or anything like this, just that in its, enti- in its entirety, I think was a good blend as best as they could for what it is that they had to work with. Um, but I think to the point that really all this has value to is we were talking a little bit about brand value. I think uh, there's a tangent that uh, uh, I'd love to add into our dialogue with this because um, really what we're looking at is the value that all this represents is the frequency of the guest relationship with staying at a hotel that has one of these flags sitting over it. Um, Because going back a little bit history-wise, brands initiation, especially hotel brand initiation with the old Holiday and Roadsides or the Howard Johnsons or what have you was uh, to reduce at the time the uncertainty of where you were staying and prove a consistency of quality of product by having the brand represent that you will always have a clean bed, color TV, air conditioning or whatever have you, rather than not knowing when you pulled into that slightly shady, maybe the sign's blinking on a Ralph Bates house, you have a problem <laughs> in the shower. Um and so now with the internet and our ability to have a higher connectivity and understanding, uh, independent hotels don't have that problem in identifying themselves within their market. And brands have a harder time proving their value of that proposition of homogeneity and consistency. So the next value that they can offer for top line revenue to their franchisers, which is what all brands are now, is franchisees. They don't really own much of their own product, um, is that ability to bring top line revenue. And top line revenue, one of the strongest sources of that is the engagement value of the membership rewards programs that they have by saying that, you know, SPG point redemptions, uh, Marriott point redemptions, being able to dialogue with uh, those who have signed up for all these programs is what can drive somebody to stay and take a left turn into your Marriott versus a right turn into Bob's hotel. Um, and that, uh, I think, is creating an issue with the value proposition that this article points out as to what that really means anymore. Um, again, going back to the idea of it being a frequency of use program, I have independent hotels that I work with and we have turned upside down a little bit of the proposition because I have a client that, I mean, literally came to me and says, look, Lauren, I have a problem. There, there, there's a, f- a flag opening up down the road and I have my regular guests coming to me who come into my market pretty persistently and say, you know, Bob, I'd like to go over and, and, and stay with you, but I'm going to end up staying down at the, the XYZ brand hotel down the road when it gets open because I want to build those points up because at the end of the year, what I do is bring my family and redeem the points. Right. And so we created two things from this. One was, um, let's invert the membership reward program to being back on to us, not to them. Instead of saying, prove to us your value to us by frequency of return and we'll give you something for it. Instead, uh, we created a, a membership program in the sense that we created hierarchies of value. And everybody that checked in for the first time, we gave them the second highest value relationship we could offer. We made three tiers and we gave them the second highest. They said, if we can prove our quality that we say we are and the service that we say we are, and if that you want to keep it, then you'll come back enough over the course of the year that you have this level of relationship with us so that you'll get it again next year. So we flipped it rather than being responsible to them to us. And the other was, and right. not in desperate times, but in very clear cut times, uh, working the math out saying, if, if we took your guests that stayed at least three to five ten, or 10 times with you a year, what does that represent in total revenue? What would that represent in lost revenue should they stay at the brand hotel? And calculate down what's the percentage cost that you could give them as value that says, hey, um, you can stay anywhere you want to outside of my market. But when you're in my market, I want you to stay with me. And because of that, here's a cash card. Here's that XYZ cash card that shows you how much you're worth to me to stay with me. So that go find your point somewhere else when you're staying somewhere else outside of my market. But when you're in my market, 
stay with me. And this is my value proposition to you to do so. And it worked. So there are tools to combat uh, the brand value, the brand loyalties uh, that, that independent hotels face. It's just uh, not as simple as just offering your own membership reward program that is really a ghost of what they already have. So. Well, and that you br- you bring up a good point because yeah, I mean the the independent the boutique hotels they do have uh, a lot of difficulty being able to compete with those points. What else though? I mean, what are some of the things that independent hotels face that they can they are much more nimble and much more able to execute better than the brand hotels? Well, okay, keeping with the loyalty theme, we can certainly take the read off of that. But one of the things is, is that uh, looking at loyalty differently and, and not as a singularity of just frequency of returnability, but rather, why are they with you? Uh, I think in our previous earlier conversations, just get kind of concept of based on what we're talking about. I referred to the fact that when I travel uh, by the road on the road to Texas, where I have clients and friends and so forth, where I used to live, uh, the halfway point is Mobile, Alabama. And I'm not a Marriott loyalty per se, even though I have their loyalty card. I have loyalty cards of every brand, really. Uh, and it's not that I'm a residence in loyalty member, but there's a residence in Immobile that I love staying at because I love everything that they do. I like being there. I like their service level. I like their breakfasts. I like their rooms. I like their location, whatever it is, all those things together. So there's two types of loyalty. And it was expressed very well in a Google article. I actually think with Google is a great resource for us. And they talked about we should be rethinking loyalty and they defined it. And I'm not necessarily agreeing with the terms they use, but the idea concept is solid. One is called attitudinal loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes down to what people associate with their brand and how differentiated you are. And then there's behavioral loyalty, which is a matter of being present or, or content is tailored to your audience of when they need it the most. So for me, going back to what I was saying about the loyalty uh, uh, that I was talking with the client about how we can keep them at your hotel and not go down to the brand, I they're saying loyal to a brand, which is what Marriott's and Starwoods and Hilton's and IHG's and everybody wants you to do, is that there's a consistency of value relationship. And in that case, unfortunately, currently it's being translated in frequency. Then there is the behavioral loyalty, which is I'm loyal that when I'm in your market, I want to stay with you unless you're ridiculously priced because price will always be the modifier. Nobody's going to spend, spend too much money regardless of how much they want to stay with you just to have the privilege. So it still has to be within a reasonable range. Um, some of the things I think from a tool point of view, um, one of the smart things that hotels did, and this goes back a few years, was they stopped trying to keep internal capture of their use of facilities by ignoring what was around them. Uh, hotels for the longest time sold, stay with me, be with me, eat with me, ignore everything around here. We have everything you have to offer. Don't look outside. And then it irritated guests because they realized that they missed the biggest ball of twine next door and nobody told them. So then the concept changed to let's discuss talking about the destination, let's sell the destination and then improve our, our amenities quality so that we can compete with the local destinations, that our breakfasts are just as good as something next door, but let's not ignore the fact that there's a great breakfast place next door. So that information was shared. Something that independent hotels can grow from that is if they're competing with brands in market, which most all of them are, is brands can't reach out locally. Their hands are tied. They can't talk about what's around the corner. They can certainly feature events, activities, locations, attractions, the generalization of what's around them. And they certainly can feature their value proposition in relationship to them. But they can't talk about Bob's Diner. And they certainly can't go to Bob's Diner and say, hey, Bob's Diner, I have a hotel that I'm trying to fill all the time. Can you give me something that I can give my guests so that they'll want to come and eat with you, especially for hotels that may not be offering that same service within their, their, their building themselves. So this goes down to the B&B level. This goes down to the hotels without food services. And I'm only making this as just one example. There's so many other things from retail to a localization of events and so forth. It's very hard and very arduous for a flag 
to reach out to a local attraction and say, can you give me a discount that I can offer my guests? Because logistically and technically, they can't build that into their packages. There's a liability concern. There's legalities. There's a, there's a, then if one does it, everybody can have the option to do it because they have this brand saturation issue. There's more than one brand of the same brand in a market. So how can one do it and not the other one do it? It has to be offered by the others as well. You have to share everything, including your data. So independent hotels have this kind of turn on a dime functionality to what they're doing. The other is, is that there is a severe limitation on what brands can represent themselves for. In the world of brands, all the hotels have to live on the mothership. And I'm saying that of the, the brand's website. Uh, and they're given limitations as to the content type they can put on and the variations of the content that they can put on. They're limited as to the scope of the content that can be shared about their hotel or their localization of event. They can put wedding pages on. They can put meeting planning pages on. They can certainly go over and talk about localization of events and local information. And the brand is doing everything they can, but they got to move the whole mountain for everybody. What they offer, one has to be offered to everybody. Independent hotels can go full lateral on content, relationships, shared links. Hey, you want to book at the local water park? I'm putting the link on the page that I built for the water park that gives you the discount that books you over to the water park. Marriott's and I, she's can't do that. And so there's those things that the independent hotels can do. The other is, is that they can share a lot more of the localization of in information. Uh, one success I had was um, I had a hotel that through the generations, the resort represented themselves differently according to whether you were traveling with a 7 to 10-year-old, a 10 to 13-year-old. I mean, for anybody that has kids, there is a whole different travel sequence as the child grows <laughs> as to what, <laughs> what they want to do, what they allowed to do. And then, of course, there's that beautiful transition when they stop wanting to do it with you, but pay for everything anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, in that process, we created content experts. We took moms and dads, mainly moms, because there's a huge network of those, that talked about what they did with their children at this resort for the trip for their kids of a certain age. And we put that content relevant to people that wanted those questions asked. Because unfortunately, um, websites have been historically built with the idea that we're going to figure out, we make people go through this arduous wireframe of discovery on websites. Once you come to our master index page, we hope to have given you so many navigation choices, which will befuddle most people that haven't been there before, to find the one kernel of information that you want. Fortunately, dynamic websites are coming around, but it's going to be a while still. But here, we can highlight that says, traveling with a 7 to 10-year-old, let us tell you what you need to do when you're here. And click, boom, there it is. And now they have direct information that's most relevant to their interest. And of course, all of that from the world of search engine optimization and so forth goes a mile ahead of everybody because nobody else maybe in your market has that, which kind of goes to one of our earlier conversations about brand saturation that there is with this merger of Marion Starwood in particular, the fact that you now have to share the same market space who you used to be direct competitors perhaps with, your data, your marketing strategies, your marketing efforts, and your clientele. Uh, and that makes it a bit of a challenge for brands. And, and, and so there's a limit to what each of those hotels can show up for organically on a web, on, on the internet where, yeah, where independent hotels can totally romp and stomp all over them because they can adaptively change content as needed to be as good about a topic as they want to be. So that's definitely the, one of the advantages then to having the, that agility and, uh, I guess basically the basic benefit for, for independence. I want to flip it then. And so what can brands and actually you've started to answer this because the 
the brands, have, or I'm sorry, the independents have done such a great job of being able to work with content creators and mommy bloggers and all of these these people that are creating organic content of, you know, five things we did when we stayed in, in XYZ city or XYZ hotel. Um, so what are some of the lessons that brands, and this can be, you know, the independent owners listening that are within a brand chain, what lessons can they take from the independents that they can do better and help their own businesses? Quite a few things, actually. Um, there's because, of course, there's no just completely one right side. Everybody go independent, yay! You know, it, brands has a have a huge value to the drawability to a market. I mean, first step in, in all things brand value is the fact that they can bring finances to the table. Uh, most hoteliers, even well established hoteliers, still need to bring a brand flag on a new development because banks don't like. I mean, if they, I mean, of course, obviously they can improve their their money infusion to get past that point if they have the of the. Uh, assets to do so, but a lot of hoteliers want to minimize their their financial risk, so they minimize their their having the need for contribution. So banks are willing to flip in more money if it's brand related. But when you're in the market for the market, the first and greatest thing that you have to look at is the data that's available to you. It's a two-edged sword in brand. Uh, brand is very restrictive as to the data that it immediately shares with you. But if you are the squeaky wheel, you can get a fantastic depth of data associated with the traffic being associated with your site, with sites within the market, because they have to share all the data that's coming to market. Uh, there's also a tremendous amount of data that's available as to group interest, uh, distance interest, uh, demographics of interest, uh, source of business interest that just most franchisers or hotel operators or sales departments just don't exercise. They uh, either don't realize that it's there or when told that it was there, don't realize its value. Uh, it's, it's really hard to put a finger because each, each circumstance is different, but I would definitely exercise the data that's available in the brand. Uh, the second from a marketing perspective is with the brand recognition that you have, cross-referencing stuff is phenomenal if you create the dialogue with the hotels within your market. One of the greater success stories for a brand client that I had was rather than sit back and wait what is given to you, because there is a hierarchy of interest. Uh, full flags hotels usually get the lion's share of marketing interest within a market because they're the prettiest to represent. Mm -hmm. Limited service properties tend to get the um, we're there if you need us market. But if you're the person in market, reach out to all of your brand peers. Create crossover of referrals. Literally, your front desks need to know that they can send people. Because if, if somebody walks in and balks at a full flag rate, the fastest thing to do. And of course, within your own ownership group, you should always refer to yourselves first. You should have that open conversation. And this doesn't go into sharing rates or things. This is not meant to be a rate sharing conversation. It's meant to be about, hey, we have other great brand product in market that you might find beneficial. Have you not to know about it? And that goes into some of your social strategies. If, if the one door open for brands is that you can go into the social environment and add this content that I tell you that independent hotels on their websites can do, you can be a creator of great content and great dialogue in the social spectrum exactly. that brands don't really restrict you to. Now, they, of course, want to quantify what you're doing as being brand related. They don't want you to ever speak out of turn or represent them in a poor light. But you can talk about why your hotel is so great associated with this event because the event's right around the corner, but you're not hard selling. You're not saying, here's our rate and dates. Here's our rate and dates. You're saying, look, for, for five to six weeks of lead time up to your prime booking window, you create a social dialogue that talks about the event, the fun things about the event, why the event is so popular, who comes to the event, share the, histor the historical stuff about the event, but you're not pushing and bias. You're, you know, they see it's coming from a hotel. They know why you're doing it. 
at the time that you start entering your prime booking window, that's when you start letting people know. And if you're interested in staying with us, we have availability still, or it's coming close to availability, but here's our link if you're interested and want to stay. And that's the other part of the component I was talking about with destination marketing is, and picture this, when you take a trip, the entire history of your travel, whether it's for, for leisure or business or whatever, is centric to where you stayed because your experience of that destination is completely radiant from your location that you stayed in. So if you associate all the things of value of your location, this goes for brand people and independents, so we'll bleed over a little bit. If you augment why your location and what you have to offer is of value to what is around you, should your rate be not the lowest or, you know, within $20 of something else, somebody may say, okay, I can stay $20 less at the airport. But having done the research of what everything that the hotels told me is in their area and all the things I liked about the fact I could walk around the corner to Bob's Burger and the other quarter for the big ball of twine and all this other stuff. Now, all of a sudden, I'm five miles farther. Do I want to re-research what's of interest over there or do I just want to pay the extra 20 bucks to stay here? And usually it's the, I'll pay the extra 20 bucks. And brands can use that to their advantage as well, because obviously brands are built in locations of high interest and value. So immediately they're already in areas for a purpose. I mean, a lot of hotels get distressed because they come and say, I, I don't, I don't know how to sell this place anymore. I don't, I mean, we're on the side of the road between, you know, A and C. And I, I look at it, it was like, well, so what was it built originally for? Well, uh, XYZ company was right around the corner and we had a lot of people come in training, but that company closed up. Okay. Where are people that are staying with you now coming from and going to? And you literally deconstruct down. And these are brand people. These are independent people. You deconstruct down what value proposition you have and you isolate your feeder markets. And you say, okay, so people staying in city A and trying to get to city C will possibly stay with you because you are six miles, six hours out from city A. And that's a good place to stop until they finish their drive the next day. Or you're next to, you know, whatever feature that is in the area, or maybe you're not next to any feature, but whatever it is, that's your market targets that you begin to isolate and say, Hey, if you're planning to travel to city ASC, um, you know, stay with us and we'll give you this or we'll, this is our rates or whatever it is. So identifying your market, even if it's a changed market, uh, is still based on destination and value of that destination. Well, I'm glad that you brought up one particular thing about the benefits of social content and social campaigns is, I guess this is near and dear to my heart as a, as a writer and as a journalist, but remembering that social just isn't for selling. It isn't for lowest rates ever and, and book now. It's it's giving them actual content, valuable content that isn't a hard sell, that is helpful to to the people that are looking for, for lodging. All of that information is Huge, it gives huge inroads into um, a customer's uh, viewpoint, a customer's, uh, I guess, trust of the brand that, you know, they're not just trying to get my, you know, my 119 or my $159 and, and move on. I mean, very glad that you uh, you brought up that point. And, and there's a lot, a lot of stuff that we could continue to discuss, but I want to start to wrap up with one thing. Okay, so these hacks, we, we alluded to them. We got to share them. We got to, you know, if they haven't read the article, they, you got to hear some of these fantastic schemes of how to make the most of your points. <laughs> well, some of them gone. They, they did close the doors on some of them. I think they were indicating some of the uh, the frequency stay stuff they closed the door on. Uh, there was a couple of them they have. But yeah, the article, the Bloomberg Business Week one, uh, I, have, I have the article pulled up in front while we're chatting here, uh, is, is, a real, is a real fun one. Um, 
I think the coins one was interesting. Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, since you, okay, I'm, I'm I'm scrolling forward. But tell me real quick where they bought the dollar the dollar coins from the mint. Yes, they bought. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so yes, so they, so they used their uh, their branded card, so their Starwood card, and purchased dollar coins from the mint, and then basically they would just take those coins and then deposit them back into their bank account in order to pay for uh, what they had charged on their credit card. So they were getting the spend on their card, but they weren't actually having a true expenditure right. because they were paying themselves back with with these coins. And and at one point, I think a a teller was like, "Is this not money?" laundering and they're like what it's all about the points it's all about the points right which i think is why they really got their heading from was all about the points yeah because yep. it, it really it caught up with this like yeah it was just funny because it's like literally it was a wash it was it was in effect if you want to look at the money it's like you're just changing <laughs> the is. currency to one to the other but then again i mean honestly from a personal i mean for those who are at discount warehouses like uh costco and whatever have you, you go and you get the discount uh, promotional cards and then you go off and buy value to stuff like another card and you get a discount on top of a discount and so there are ways to manipulate it's gamification it's 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 the loopholes that are are discovered by people that are really looking at the the, the metrics associated with the rewards and programs and it is one of those things where uh, any builder of any of these programs there is never an airtight solution that solves <laughs> and somebody from having to be able to exploit that process. Um, one thing just to touch back on, I know we want to wrap up for it, but one a very logistic way of looking at how you're looking at what you're doing for social media. Social media is about the expectation of conversation. Uh, it's a lot like walking into a stadium where you hear the noise of the crowd. You can't discern an individual conversation, but you hear that there's thousands of conversations going on. And as you get closer to different groups of people, those conversations turn into more discernible conversation. And then you get into a smaller group of people where you're finally in listening to a conversation. Nobody wants anybody to ever walk in to a conversation unannounced and say, hi, I sell hotel rooms and I can give you a rate of $119 without even knowing, one, are you in the right conversation? Two, not usually the first thing that somebody says. Three, you, you tend to, you should listen first and find out whether the conversation is of merit that you can contribute to. And in the contribution, not about selling something, but what is it that you may know that may help the conversation? If you approach social that way, that the knowledge you have of what's being discussed is not yours to control, but yours to contribute to. And you know when you can begin to engage that conversation in a in a contributory way, when you begin to be able to offer in, because it actually, some people will start listening where if we do it right, we actually have people in the social dialogue of the hotels actually ask, so what are you guys doing about rate and availability? Do you have any availability? So they'll start asking those questions. You don't have to sell them. They're, they know why you're there. They, they see the name of the account. Um, they want to know what it is at this point that they, you can help them with. Um, and remembering too that in Google, they took away our keywords, but they put in attribution strings. And you can see where your social, especially paid social, falls into that attribution string along with your organic content and your paid programs and so forth. And you can determine based on the, the value of that attribution string what you need to tweak content-wise to make that attribution string actually make more money for you without spending more money to do it. So there's lots of functionalities to this process rather than just the hypothetical list, put a nice picture up of our hotel and talk about why we're so close to the event. There's a lot more metrics to it as well. Couldn't have said it better myself. He said it much, much better than me and much faster and much succinctly. <laughs> thank you again to Lauren Gray for joining the podcast. And thank you so much to our correspondent, Shelby Skirhawk, for conducting that interview today. Thank you also to our digital editor, Jeff Short, for joining me earlier on the podcast. Unfortunately, that's all we have for this episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. We do hope you're having a happy new year and safe celebrations. 
As always, if you enjoyed this content, feel free to share it around with other people in the industry. We would certainly appreciate that. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We would certainly appreciate that as well. We'll be back again shortly with another episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. But until then, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.